that were chosen, they uh, just entirely fit into, by the, by the Spirit's leading, I'm sure, into what we have before us in this chapter this morning. I'd invite you to turn to John chapter 11 in your, um, in your Bibles. We're not going to read this whole chapter. It's lengthy. I think it's known to many of you, uh, and uh, it's going to be on the slides uh, as we work our way through the chapter in a particular way. I'm delighted to turn to John chapter 11. It's one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. I love the story and I'll share the reasons why as we go through. I would say also that only part of it is my favorite story. And we'll come to that near the end of, uh, of our time together. The question that's before us is uh, uh, the clarity of our response to Jesus. This famous claim of his is before you and we'll come to it in a little while. We could all quote it, I'm sure. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you uh, believe this? The uh, thing that I really like about this chapter is that it really identifies much of who Jesus was in his character and his attributes. And also, it's reflected, his character and attributes are reflected in his actions that he takes during this, uh, uh, during this interchange with his family and the people gathered around him. His actions are uh, shown in the chapter by the verbs that uh, you will see as we work our way through. And I'm going to follow those verbs of Jesus did this. And that will help us to see the reflection of his attributes, his character, and also his purpose as he moves through these uh, planned activities of his in the life of this family. When we ask about the clarity of our response, we're helped by the clarity of the responses of the people who are gathered around him during his purposes. They are the family, of course, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And they are there under the guidance of the Lord and his love uh, that, uh, for the uh, purposes that he has in their lives though, during those days. But also, there's a very clear uh, purpose of the Lord with respect to the disciples. And this is a real teaching instruction for them. And we as his disciples today can uh, respond and ask ourselves the question, would we and are we responding with such clarity or confusion uh, as the disciples did uh, during those days? And then there's the Jews. And uh, I'm going to ask our brother, we're going to try something. I don't have control of the computer, and uh, but I got it now. I, uh, just a bit of context is in the geography here, and it's important, uh, as often it is, just for this is the map of Israel in the time of Jesus, or one of the many maps, I guess. Uh, there is Jerusalem up to the left, uh, to the west of the River Jordan. And we're going to talk and see a little bit about the little village of Bethany, and it's just across the valley from, from the, the old temple site, the old uh, city of Jerusalem. Uh, Bethany served as a uh, as an outlier where the poor gathered who couldn't afford the trip into the into the big city, and often that's the case. 
And it's thought by commentators, not clear in the passage, that uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were, were servants of the Jewish elite for working in that village of Bethany on behalf of the poor. And uh, I'm not sure if that's correct, but it does help us maybe to understand a few of the things going on in the story. Jesus, when the chapter starts out, is somewhere in the north up here where, where Jesus, uh, where John had been baptizing or somewhere up in there. It was about a day's journey to Bethany from where he was located at the beginning of the chapter with his disciples. And then after the, at the end of the chapter, he flees from the events uh, uh, of uh, what went on near Bethany and goes up into a place that's not marked on this map, but the little village of Ephraim, uh, far away, far enough away uh, from the village of Jerusalem. So that's a bit of context there. Next slide, Joel. One of the groups I've identified as being responders to Jesus and in, and in his target eyes are the Jews. And uh, John uses this uh, expression something over 70 times in the Gospel of John. And what's curious about it and tripped me uh, to pay attention to it is that John himself was a Jew. Why is he talking and who is he talking about when he refers to the Jews? And in, uh, I, I've drawn a little circle where, with the Jewish nation as the outside boundary of John's address to the people uh, in his gospel. But at times he differentiates them simply as Judeans. And uh, those are the provinces that were in play at that time. Uh, Jesus uh, was born uh, near Jerusalem, actually, where Bethlehem is. But he lived his life uh, for, for a big part of it in uh, in, in Galilee in the north. Uh, the suits, as we could call them, I wore this for a purpose, came oftentimes from, uh, from Judea. And sometimes the, the Judeans are the Jews he's referring to. And other times he's referring to people of the Sanhedrin, uh, the scribes, the Pharisees, and in this case, the high priest. Uh, sometimes there were a band of commissioners and uh, people uh, sent by the ruling government of Judaism at the time, the Sanhedrin, and we'll come to the high priest a little bit later in the, in, in the story. Next slide. One of the first action verbs we learn in the story is that Jesus loved. It's interesting how John highlights this in, the, in this chapter. He repeats the word several times. And he does that so that everyone would understand that the story before us is the story of God's love for this family and the love for all of the people who were in view of Jesus at the time. A man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord. And this actually happens in the next chapter of John. Uh, now, brothers, uh, Mary's brother, Lazarus, lay sick. So, so the sisters went word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And verse five, I love this. Jesus loved Martha and her sister, Mary and Lazarus. The question we could ask ourselves is, uh, what about Jesus love in our family? Well, the first thing we can certainly observe is that he loves each one of us. In our family, he loves you, your spouse, all of the children you have, all of the people who might be in your home. Jesus loves each one individually. After all, the Gospel of John began with that very famous verse that we can all can, can quote, but 
instills the purpose of the gospel in the whole book. And that is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The story begins with God's love. And it's seen here in the action of Christ as he expressed his love through this human family. He visited them several times, as we know. And he, uh, it was his home base at times, uh, uh, right outside the city of Jerusalem. And he built up a relationship with them. Not that he doesn't build a relationship up with everybody, but they responded to him. And so he responded in kind with, with a, a personal uh, port, uh, relationship of love uh, with them. So we're beginning to see what the flow is going to be. We have the, the verb that we're following, what it means about Jesus' character, and what it implies about and what it provides about his purpose in that particular uh, setting. So we'll move through them uh, one at a time. Next slide. Next thing we notice in verse 4, these aren't in exact order, verse order, but Jesus listened. And you can obviously think in, in John's terms that he's observing this with a human view of what Jesus was doing. He's saying Jesus heard, that Jesus listened to the cry of Mary through the people who were, who were sent. He, he was concerned about the, uh, his, his dear friend Lazarus was ill and needed attention. And he listened to the cry and affliction uh, of, of people who are, are uh, seeking him. I just reflected back on a few verses from the psalm, psalmist. 10 and 17, you hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry. Psalm 34 and verse 1, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. There's a big but here in the Psalms and I just want to, we can't do justice to it, but I'll highlight it. And it comes up at the end of our chapter. There's a but. Proverbs 15 and verse 29 the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. There's this awful time in the, in the relationship between you and God while you're on this earth. And if you respond to him, he will be found by you. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you turn your back on him, there is a, there is a decision point, And we, we don't know when that is, but there's a decision point in God's action that he turns aside from that person and says, you have rejected me, kind of so be it. Not that until death there's not another opportunity, but God uh, shows that uh, departure uh, when people just consistently, continuously reject him in spite of all the evidence, in spite of the clarity of his claims. And uh, that's a clear teaching of Scripture. Next slide. So Jesus hears this. He prophesies. And he uh, does a couple things with this prophecy. He said, this sickness will not end in death. He's speaking now to the emissaries of uh, Martha and Mary. Uh, and he wants them to understand because he knows the message is going to go by Bluetooth speed back to, uh, back to the home. That's how it came. That's how it's going to go back very quickly, as we'll see in a moment. This sickness will not end in death. So he heard their concerns, even though the message was simple. Lazarus is ill. Our Lord sees the real situation. Our words never fully express it, but he is omniscient. He sees all things. He knows all things. And when we pray, praying is a bit, in a sense, irrelevant. God already knows and sees our need. 
He's, he's asked for us to pray, to conform our will to his and to get to know him better. But in another way, when you look at it from God's perspective, he knows all things. He understood, for example, here that they were fearing, fearing that he might die. They didn't say that, but this is his response. Don't fear, as we're singing. This is not going to end in death. No, it is for God's glory. So he goes beyond the need. He gives the encouragement in the middle of the affliction, but he also uh, gives the last part, the purpose by which God is allowing these things to happen. And that purpose he makes clear, although not at that point to them maybe, but later in the, in the time they'll see it. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, one of the things we want to notice about this purpose is that he's, his, his part of his, the stakeholders in the story are the, is the Jewish nation at large. It's not just for this family. It's not just for his disciples, but it is for all of them to understand that the one who is saying this is God's son. And he's claiming to be God the Father's Messiah on earth. And for that very reason, and this is such an important point, the leaders of Israel were blindsided to not accept what was going on here. They were looking for a political Messiah, and Jesus came as the Messiah of sin, salvation, and eternal life with God. He didn't come to, uh, to reign over the nation of Israel and deliver them from Rome. He came to uh, solve the sin problem and deliver a people who would respond to him with eternal life and the, all of the promises and benefits of knowing him. Next action by Joe. Jesus stayed. And this, uh, this is a very interesting thing that Jesus does here and raises a lot of questions to the people who were there and uh, perhaps to us in the middle of our afflictions as well. Yet, yet, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Jesus Next, this action would be incomprehensible to us if we didn't see the purpose that he'd already laid down before us. And that helps us understand that question, why? God allows afflictions and things in our lives such that greater glory would flow to God because of this that he has allowed. And it's easy for us to say that from the platform. And as we study, it's another thing to live it. We think of this pastor in North Korea, and we can't imagine how he would be looking at the question that is before us this morning. Where is God when I'm in, in, when, when I'm in this affliction? What is he doing? What is his purpose? How can I live through it and be strong? When he heard that Lazarus was sick, uh, he stayed two days. So I took a little bit of a look throughout this chapter to help us understand more fully the, the reason why. We've already said that it was designed by God to bring greater glory to the Son of God because of this event, the sickness that he allowed. We can rest always in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, knowing that God is always good. He does not change in the middle of a tough situation for us. He loves us. He cares for us. He wants to see good brought to you and brought to him as a result of the trials we are going through. And we know, says Paul, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. 
More, more glory to God sounds like something in his domain. And, but those who have lived through life and see how God has worked with them can ultimately look back with 2020 vision and see clearly how God has allowed this and things for him are done according to his way. How do we understand why did he stay two days? We would plead with those around him. Why didn't you go right away and keep this man uh, from dying? The next uh, thing that I observed in answering this question, this is the seventh recorded sign that was designed to be glorious in support of Jesus' claims to be God himself uh, come in the flesh. He had already done some previous miracles. He had already healed uh, the sick. He had healed the sick from afar and all of those signs we've been through already. Here he wanted to wait not only until Lazarus was was very ill, but he he died uh, this death so that he would be in the grave and that would allow for the thing that he had designed would be done. The next answer beyond that is that in the commentators I read about the Jewish tradition of the time with regard to death and burial was that they waited, the Jewish people waited for three days before the person was clearly dead. I guess they were allowing for comas or whatever else was behind this tradition. But they they would wait for three days before they committed the person fully to the grave. And that's what I was reading about. Haven't, uh, I, I trust that it's reliable. Uh, but in that time, uh, Lazarus died. He was in the grave more than three days. We know Jesus said he was in the grave four days. So this was part to to uh, witness to the to the uh, to everyone around, there was no doubt this was not a coma. This was not a, a sickness that made the person unconscious, but he was truly, uh, truly dead. His target audience also were the Jews. And another aspect to the reason was it took the man's death to draw the people from Jerusalem, the leaders, to come and mourn for one of those workers of theirs who lived and worked among the poor on their behalf. If that's if that's true. That's another of the reasons why Jesus delayed. He wanted to not just have Mary, Mary, Martha there and a few close friends from Bethany. He wanted to draw the Jewish people, uh, the leaders from Jerusalem, the scribes, the Pharisees, into the witness of this thing. So they, too, would know that here is the evidence firsthand by which uh, I, my claims to be the Messiah uh, are validated. Uh, so uh, the... Uh, all of these things help us to understand what Jesus is doing kind of tactically, but to demonstrate his purpose, to bring more glory to the Son, the Messiah, and to God the Father, who the stakeholders in the chapter recognized as their father, uh, but didn't really know him or believe in him genuinely, as we'll see later. The next verse is Jesus led. There's a lot of talk these days about what character, what characterizes a good leader. Most of us have seen too much of it in the U.S. press in the last week or so. And we've made our own judgments about what constitutes good leadership and not. A study of the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament is a tremendous leadership study to see how he led his disciples for their purpose as one example of it. And here we have it. He very simply says he led the disciples and his first call to them was let us go back. To Judea. Now we learn from chapter 10 that this was a very risky thing for them to do. The Jews 
The Judean, the leadership, the leadership in Israel wanted to put him to death because of what? Because of his claim that they saw as blasphemous. Even though he had done all these miracles, they, they had already chosen to reject him. They say, yeah, we saw the miracles, don't know much about that, but you're claiming to be the Messiah and you are not our Messiah that we're looking for. Before we're too hard on the Jewish leadership, let's remember that we too can be blindsided, blind viewed by our particular situation. We can live in this little box that's too small to see what God is doing. We can live in a very shallow little universe, and I'm not pointing my finger at anybody, perhaps at me, but we need to realize that we too can be blindsided by our sin, by our lack of understanding of who God is and what his purposes are. So let's not judge those people, even though we'll refer to them too too harshly, but uh, they did miss it. And we need to record that uh, as we go through here. But his di- back to the disciples, they were afraid of going back to Jerus- Jerusalem's area because they knew they might get stoned, they might get uh, put in jail. They, they really didn't want to go. And if you read this interchange between, between him and the disciples, it was a bit of a baseball game for those of you who are falling asleep around now. The Lord throws them the ball three times. Three times, if you underline them, he says, let's go, let's go, let's go. This is after the two days, of course, that we've already talked about. And how do they respond? Strike one. Strike two. Almost strike three. But that didn't quite happen. And we'll just trace that through a little bit. And he, Jesus did not want to send them. He did not want to go alone. He wanted to lead them so that they would see this miracle and testify to it uh, later on. The next verse begins with, uh, with but. Jesus answered with teaching and exhortations to their, to, uh, their responses to his request to, for them to go with him. And this big but says what their brain was Really going on. But Rabbi, they said a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you and yet you're going back there. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Do you not see the light? Do you not see what I've been teaching you that I am the light and that your prime purpose is to follow me when I exhort you and ask you to come with me? A man who walks by day will not stumble for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has uh, no, no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. So that, that was their response uh, to strike one, uh, to ball one, sorry. Strike two, I'm going to wake him. To, the next ball is, I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. We won't need to go. Just leave him for another couple days and this illness will uh, will take care of itself and he will he, he will get over it and, and we don't have to go and face these things that might might happen to us then he told them plainly Lazar- in verse 14 they're not all there Lazarus is dead and for your sake I am glad I was not there so that you may believe and now here's the third ball thrown let us go to him this time who answers 
We all think of him so much as doubting Thomas. But here he's called Thomas the Didymus. I didn't have a clue why John would include his nickname or his description of the fact he might have been a twin brother or what was going on here. But we understand that the Didymus means the twin. And that seemed to be his nickname. And I think what John, the reason John recorded this, perhaps, this is not inspired commentation here, but it seems that Thomas was trying to twin his behavior. I think he turned around and said, we must go and you must come with me. Your behavior must be twinned to mine. I don't know. It might be a stretch, but uh, that's, uh, we're not really sure of that. But he says, let us also go that we may die with him. If we, I don't know the tone of voice to read that with. Uh, maybe it's resigned, resignedly. Okay, let's go. The boss wants us to go. Let's go along. Or it's more exhortative to his brothers. It's saying, let us go. If we die, we die with him. And uh, we will rise with him or whatever else was going through his head to accept the fact that they should go. Next slide. I'm using this, term, this verb colloquially a little bit, but Jesus showed up. He went. He arrived on the scene. And that's something we, we must know as Christians when we're in the middle of affliction, when we're in the middle of difficulty, we can rest in the reality that God is omnipresent. He's not only omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's always there. He's always here. He's always around us. It's not just in this building. It's in our lives. He's in our lives. He's around us. And he wants us to know that he's there. And he is not only there disinterestedly, he's there with caring, with love and concern for what's going on in their, in their lives. We just don't have time to handle all the detail that's here, but it's interesting how uh, what, happens, uh, what happens next. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And so you can see some of the things I was saying earlier about the purposes of the Lord and why he, uh, why he waited. But he did show up onto the scene, and he showed up on this scene, and we'll see from now on he's particularly looking at these three groups that are around him to bring them to a deeper belief in him as their Messiah, as their Savior, and as their Lord. And so we just pause to ask our application question that we started with. How clear is our response to the one who calls us uh, to this exact same sort of belief? Next one. So Jesus comforted. When Mar- Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. How she knew he was coming. There's that Bluetooth uh, wireless connection that was going on in those days. Uh, I'm not sure how to explain how fast things traveled. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, and here she's speaking on behalf of the family. I'm sure they, she's expressing their grief. I'm sure she's expressing what they had been discussing. Where is the Lord when we need him? Why did he not come? You can see it in their heart. If you had been here, I'm sure he was, she was polite. My brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Next slide. I hope we have it there. Martha answered Jesus. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. 
Did she really believe that Lazarus was going to be risen from the dead? She's a weasel. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> She's using the weasel clauses. Yes, Lord, but. Yes, Lord, I, I know that's going to happen sometime in the future, but I'm real confused about the present. Well, we can't be hard on Martha or Mary either. I'm sure I would be no different in the situation. But what's so important to see is how the Lord graciously moves forward in, in, the, uh, in, in their understanding. Uh, I, next, next slide. And we've missed a few verses here, but uh, we know the, the remainder of that story. She, she called Mary. Um, Mary came with her uh, and uh, went quickly to him. Jesus had not yet entered the village. It was at the place where Martha had met him. And then the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb uh, to mourn. Lord, again, presenting the family uh, situation to him. Jesus, Jesus um, encouraged and comforted. Uh, we all always, when we go to funeral as Christians, we are comforted and encouraged by God. He is the source of all encouragement. He is the source of, uh, of consolation and help even in the middle of these kind of trials and tribulations. And we see this in action where the love of God was reaching out to comfort and encourage this family whom he loved individually in the middle of their sorrow and difficulty. Next slide. Oh, uh, Jesus was deeply, deeply moved and wet. Uh, it's interesting to note this is a very famous verse in verse 35 because it's the shortest one in the, in the whole book, probably maybe even in the Bible. There's a, there's a noun and a verb, Jesus wept. And some of the other translations elaborating on the difference between the weeping that he did and the weeping that was going around, we can envisage the, these words that are different in the original language this way. The, the mourners were kind of professional mourners. They were howling and they were, they were wailing and they were overcome by their grief. And we can understand what they would be doing that day. Jesus was touched by their situation. And he wanted them to, he wanted them to know that he was deeply grieving with them in this situation. Perhaps his grief went beyond that, where he was grieving because of their poor understanding of who he was and what he was doing. These Jews were from Jerusalem, and they, they had not yet gotten. Some of them were even the spies of the Sanhedrin, and they had not yet seen who he was. In spite of all that he had done, in spite of all the love he'd shown, all the healing he had done, they did not understand uh, who he was, and, and if they did, they were blind, uh, they didn't accept him for whatever reasons as a whole group. Jesus was deeply moved and he shed tears, in other words, for the situation. Some of the Jews responded and said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came uh, came to the tomb. It's a sad, sad situation there, isn't it? For the death of the family, but for how the people who were there did not see who Jesus was. And he became the dividing line of those who were truly belonger, belonging, those who truly belonged to the Father. And those, in spite of all Jesus was doing, rejected him and turned away. Uh, next, uh, next slide. And uh, we need to move quickly here just to close. Jesus commanded, and he, we know the story. 
he rose Lazarus from the dead and uh, they commanded that he, he come forth and then he commanded that, that, that Lazarus be relieved. I think the next slide, uh, uh, Joe. Jesus prayed and then called Lazarus out and commanded his, his people to, this dead man's now standing, wrapped in the linens as they did at the time, and commanded that, that they free him from the bondage of the, of the grave. And that's a powerful symbol of what God does for us in our sin. We're blinded, we're, we're bound, we're, we're, we can't see the light, we can't see the truth, and yet God wants that stripped away, freed uh, to become his and worship him. Last slide here. The clarity of their response. The Jews, they went two different directions. The ones who went back to the Pharisees and reported this as being a travesty and so on, and uh, then the Jews who believed in him. And what was reported back to the to the high priest of the day is such a sad story. It's not my favorite part of the story at all. Caiaphas, the high priest that year, said, in, a, in, in my words, don't you know that if one man dies, in other words, if we stone him and get rid of him, it's better for our nation because it will be rid of this man and we won't lose the control, our control over the nation uh, to the Romans. And Again, the blindness is amazing, but this was what was in their heart. And he's the main man in charge of that Sanhedrin. And what he said turned out to be prophetical. And Jesus did die for the nation, but not the way he was talking about. He offered his life as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. The clarity of our response to Christ. I'll I'll invite the musicians up because I am indeed finished. Uh, Respond to his love for us. These are our verbs this morning. Are we responding to his love for us and our family and our individual lives, the people around? Do we seek him in our need? Do we look to his grave? Lazarus's grave foreshadowed the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it was about to come soon. soon. And uh, some of this, I wish we could take time and how those two uh, graves uh, are to be compared. But Jesus wanted us to believe him for salvation, to listen for his call to seek the purpose that he has laid out, that he is always good, that he wants to see his purposes met, and we are to trust him for eternity and for life now living in the light and bring him glory uh, before others. Thank you for your attention, uh, and we'll pray after the closing hymn. Standing for closing prayer. Let's bow our hearts. I'm going to read our closing prayer from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when, his ha- when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. When he, had done, when he has done this, then the Son of Man himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all, And may we make that our prayer as we follow him through the difficulties and trials of this life, that we will know that he clearly wants our love to him 
He clearly wants us to believe in him as Savior and the one who did away with sin. And he clearly wants us to live for him, following his purposes even through the dark times, such that we may together contribute to the knowledge that God is, to, is, God is good and God is glorious and God is ours uh, for eternity if we trust in him and in the Lord whom he sent. Amen.